And now on Tucson Business Radio X, your home for real estate with Carol Nugent. Well, hello, everyone. And it's afternoon here in Tucson, so I'm going to say good afternoon and bring good greetings to everyone wherever you are in these days when our lives are so turned upside down. But I am delighted to be here at Tucson Business Radio X, your home for real estate, live streaming from the Stewart Title Building on East Broadway in central Tucson. And we are going to adjust the program a little bit today, given the circumstances that are going on in all of our lives. I had originally planned on this program to focus on buyers, because this is traditionally a time of year when we have a lot of people out in the marketplace looking to buy, thinking about buying, and I thought it would be a great idea to share some important information on home inspections and on homeowners insurance, and we are going to do that, but we have a few adjustments here. I want to touch on uh, how COVID-19 plays into some of those functions, and also one of my guests, Don Cox, who I'll talk about a little later, is not joining us today out of uh, an abundance of caution. He happened to be at uh, a gathering uh, over the weekend in Phoenix, and apparently he's a few steps away from someone who did get uh, the coronavirus. So he won't be with us today in person, but he'll be with us in spirit. And he's been kind enough to share with me all of the information uh, that he wants to make sure you all have. So we'll get on to that in just a minute. But um, my first guest, I'm really delighted to have Rick Johnson of Windhome Inspections. It's my pleasure to work with Rick. Uh, Rick represents... does represents a lot of my buyers on their home inspections. He is my go-to home inspector here in Tucson. Home inspection is such an important function, and I feel very fortunate that Rick is one of my cadre of angels who help me help my clients. And Rick, um, actually, he grew up learning all kinds of functions related to his trade from his father, who was a carpenter. And he had a... um, career in industrial gases and metal fabrication uh, for a while. And after he was worn out by that, (laughs) he opened um, the franchise for Wynn Home Inspection in Tucson in 2004. And Rick does a wonderful job of serving all of us in the real estate community, uh, working with buyers and pre-listing inspections. He also works on inspects pools and spas, new construction, light commercial, and he also provides radon testing. And I know he's very excited that he's going to begin incorporating thermal imaging into his inspections. And I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that. Um, And so, Rick, welcome. Thank you very much for making the trip No problem. I appreciate you letting me come on your show with you. I'm really glad to have you here. So before we get into more of the general information, we were Mm -hmm. talking a little bit about what are some of the ramifications for inspections with some of the restrictions that we have uh, related to the COVID-19. Well, fortunately, we haven't had anything that's cost anybody any, uh, you know, real concern. I I haven't run into anybody that has uh, actual virus issues or anything like that. But we're trying to do what everyone else is doing and trying to keep the distance, not even doing the shoulder bumps and stuff when we shake hands. We're trying to avoid that. So we're trying to keep that six foot barrier, if you will. Uh, We'd really like to see people limited at the home inspection. So if you have other contractors, if you have uh, family members, you know, so on and so forth, try and keep those folks at bay as best as we can. Get it limited to myself, especially if I, uh, if I could do that. Just keep it down to me and my client, maybe the realtor. And frankly, they can show up even closer towards the end of the inspection if we can do it uh, so that we just have a limited time of, of conversation at the end. The other thing we can do is is uh, ultimately, you know, the clients can stay home if they can feel comfortable with that uh, because we're going to have the report out to them the same day anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they'll have a lag or a wait or anything like that. And mm-hmm. we're always available for phone calls afterward to to discuss, the you know, the issues that we found. 
So we try to make a very, you know, very good experience out of it, regardless whether we, you know, we do it in person or not. So, but yeah, that's, that's ultimately what it is. We're just trying to keep things weight bound, keep the distance and, you know, do the normal safety stuff. And I I think just for our listeners um, who may not be in the Tucson area, it might be helpful for me to uh, explain that here in Tucson, we're very fortunate at this point in time in that we, I believe I saw today that we have four confirmed cases now. So those of you who might be in other cities, you might be in different circumstances. So what Rick is saying now might not apply. Uh, but right now here in Tucson, we're all just being very, very cautious and careful uh, to try and contain it because we like only having four positives and we'd like to keep it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I also know, um, and I think it's worth letting listeners know that there are times when buyers want to be present for the entire inspection. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very good for them not to attend until the, the end, not to get in the way of you being able to get your work done. Yeah. You know, the advantage, too, is that, I mean, they can certainly, I, I really don't mind, and I've always enjoyed letting buyers come because they can take time to look at the house differently than what mm-hmm. I do. I'm looking for the issues they need to know about, but for them, they need to measure areas. They need to understand how they're going to locate things. They need to really mm-hmm. kind of get a feel for the house in a, in a time manner that they can they can do because when they're coming out and preview and they don't always have time to really look at it well. Mm-hmm. So that's great. And we'll just keep a distance. I'll do my thing. They can do their thing. I'm not too concerned with that. But yes, if they could stay home at least until the end, it would be much easier. So well, we don't want, I always tell my clients at least, you don't want to distract Rick so he misses something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and, and I let folks know, I kind of explain it real simply. I'm going to give your home 100% of my attention. So at the end, I can give you 100% of my attention. And it makes a big, big difference mm-hmm. because at the end, even those that sometimes are skeptical because they kind of feel like they want to micromanage what we do, mm-hmm. at the end, they're very astounded as to what we find. And realize at that point, boy, that was a good idea. Leave you alone, let you do your thing. So, yeah. Well, I know that you're highly skilled. So I think my first question to you would be, who needs a home inspection? Who would you recommend? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And for, you know, we're only about a 40-year-old industry, give or take. I mean, it's a very short-lived time period. The home inspectors, you know, kind of came into the limelight, I guess, if you will. Prior to that, it was Billy Joe Bob, you know, somebody's cousin, uncle, friend, or whoever, uh, who was doing these kinds of things. And they started realizing they were running into all kinds of problems because the fellow that may have thought they knew a little bit about the house found out later they really didn't. Hmm. So for home inspection, it became something that was uh, a growing concern and, and something that became much more soluble. Um, anyway, uh, say that again. I was just saying, who, do you, who would you recommend yeah, so needs for, to get an inspection. Yes, I'm sorry, I got diluted on there. That's okay. That's <laughs> um, okay. But as far as who, it's going to be anybody that's purchasing a home, whether it be a home buyer, first time, or a seasoned buyer. I've been hired actually by builders to provide home inspections on their new build mm-hmm. homes because they had clients that were maybe just a little bit more concerned mm-hmm. and they wanted that non biased opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between a home inspector a contractor, a builder. We look at it through a non-biased, we've got no, we're not trying to get a job from it or anything else. We're trying to provide information. So we have a great standpoint that's, that has no no skin in the game, if you will. Well, uh, and as long as you mention new construction, mm-hmm. um, as a realtor, when I'm working with buyers who are under contract for new construction homes, we always do a walkthrough, of course, mm-hmm. but I always advise them that in addition to the walkthrough, they have the right to bring an independent home inspector in. Correct. Uh, and that, that's before they buy in. As you know, f- and f- for any of our listeners who may have bought a new home, I always recommend to my clients who have bought new homes, put a mark on your calendar when you've been in the home about 10 months. That's the time to call Rick or call another home inspector. And it's worth the $350, $450 to have an independent person walk through the home and take a look at it before your one-year builder's warranty expires. What I've found happens is so many people say, oh, my God, we've been in the house a year, and by then it's too late. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know you recently did a home inspection on some buyers of mine who are at that 10-month period. Yeah. And you were telling me before we started 
broadcasting that uh, you actually came up with some things that they were very surprised. Yeah, you know, and we're all human. Mm -hmm. um, builders do what they are able to do to the best of their ability based especially right now upon having good help. Mm -hmm. uh, our market, with the last dip in the market, had taken away an awful lot of quality craftsmen because they started going and pairing off into other venues. So they've had a real struggle with, with getting the guys out there in the field that can actually do the work. So they're training a lot of folks. It's kind of a constant movement. And because of that, their schedules are off. Um, they have a lot of things that come up. And we I've never seen a perfect house. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, doesn't one doesn't exist. I think somebody challenged somebody on that one time. But uh, bottom line is, yeah, there's always stuff that comes up. They're only human, and uh, and we just find the things because we scrutinize it a little bit different mm -hmm. than what they do. So we, we find a lot of stuff. Well, and one other category that I sometimes recommend is a pre-listing inspection, and that's something that not everybody thinks of. But I know I'm a very proactive person, mm -hmm. and so I always tell my sellers, you know, if, if you really think there might be some issues and you can't determine them for yourself, let's have a pre-listing inspection. You know, I always feel like let's let's find out what it is before we're getting it in the process of a transaction that could fall apart. Oh, absolutely. You know, well, the nice thing, too, is it's a it's a sales tool at mm -hmm. that point. Now, there's a lot of markets outside of Tucson that actually do this proactively where mm -hmm. the listing inspection is the first and foremost thing they do. And part of the reason is very simple. If if let's say you had a home that all of a sudden you found out you had a major issue with polybutylene or a roof issue or something that was going to cost some money, but you didn't realize that going into it. Mm -hmm. If you proactively can take care of it with contractors you line up right. going into it, you can do that at a rate, a dollar figure that you can afford. If it comes down to the buyers doing it and they're presenting contractors and quotes and so forth, you may spend a few thousand dollars more in the mm -hmm. process. So ultimately, it's a good place to, to like I say, showcase and, and eliminate some of those problems. Uh-huh. And I think personally, it's it's much nicer. The home's going to show a lot better. Absolutely. I think, an, I think a seller that does a pre-listing inspection is another indication of somebody who, who's taking care of their home. They want to make sure that their home yeah. is in good shape because they're investing the time and the energy and the money in, in having somebody take a look at it. Well, and it speeds the process up, too, because mm -hmm. now you've got those repairs done, so mm -hmm. when it comes to closing time, everything is just boom, boom, boom. Right. Uh, you don't have a big inspection period and a lot of, oh, no, right. <laughs> we do. So. so when you do an inspection, what exactly do you inspect? I know there's a lot. <laughs> there is, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, ultimately we have essentially a 300-point inspection. Uh, every home is a little different, bigger, smaller, but ultimately we have the same kind of thing, walls and electrical and plumbing and a roof. So we look for structure, function, and safety. Those are the three main categories and anything that falls inside that. Now, we also follow a standard of practice here in Arizona, which was adopted from ASHI. So ultimately, as an ASHI certified inspector, I have the ASHI standard, I have the Arizona standard, and then I'm a franchise owner, which means I've got a standard to practice. We put above all that because... I just want to interrupt you yeah. because our listeners might not be aware of what ASHE is. Oh, okay. Well, it's the American Society of Home Inspectors. It is a group of home inspectors who have developed a way to inspect with some sort of a standard. There's only about half the states, by the way, that have standards of practice. Hmm. Uh, so if you're not an ASHI member, if you don't have that standard of practice to follow, you're really out there kind of playing the Old West, you know, uh, inspection. And and it really can get into a problem. That's where the Billy Joe Bob kind of thing I talked about earlier comes in <laughs> because anything can happen. So I was very happy when I found that Arizona had a standard required it made it much more. It made it much easier. It protects me. It protects you as my realtor that I'm working yeah. with. It protects the client. We all get protection based on a standard of practice. So. And it's very methodical too, and yes. consistent. Yeah. Yes, we always have a. As we work through the house, you know, we work around. I my the way I do it is I work around the outside of the house, and then I work around the inside of the house, and I finish up in the kitchen where everybody's hanging around, and then we sit down and we chat. 
So it, it is. It's a process every single time. And I want to maintain that practice every time I go into a home because that's what helps me find those things routinely mm-hmm. that I know I'm probably going to run into. And after 15 years, you can imagine every decade has its own set of issues, mm-hmm. and we can identify just by knowing when the home was built, mm-hmm. likely what we're going to run into mm-hmm. when we get into that home. So mm-hmm. it makes it makes it very, very informational. Well, and I'm thinking, too, that the consistency uh, of that methodology, mm-hmm. I think that there's a certain security in that. Because you have a routine that you consistently follow step by step by step, Every single inspection, probably two a day, I'm guessing, yep. over 15 years, it's so ingrained in your mind that there's no way you're going to miss something. Yeah, you know, because it's become so habitual that every system in the house does get addressed. Yeah, and we talked about that a bit, a little bit ago. Uh, the things that could get missed are the things that happen because of distractions. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to let the home inspector do his job and stay on task because he will be able to find those things but sure enough as soon as we start getting off on a rabbit trail somewhere yeah things can get missed and we don't want to do that so other than the certification are there other prerequisites or other skills or experience that a good home inspector has or that's one of our listeners i of course would recommend everybody to use you i appreciate but if everybody uses you then i can't get you and i need you for my buyers (laughs) but are there certain things i think a lot of people rely on their realtors which i certainly appreciate i'm a very a uh, particular person, I don't just use any Tom, Dick, or Harry. Yeah. I, I have a cadre. I call them my angels. You're my inspector angel. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes I will ask my buyer, well, do you have an inspector? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and usually they don't, or so they'll let me. Sure. Um, they rely on me. But I'm just curious, what would you tell someone if they were looking to hire an inspector? What are some of the either the qualifications or the training that you would recommend? Well, Everybody uh, has to follow the standard of practice that we have here in Arizona. They have to be licensed or certified, as we call it, in Mm -hmm. Arizona. Certification doesn't provide a few things, though. For example, uh, certification in Arizona means I don't have to have continuing education. However, if I'm an ASHE certified inspector, I do. So so you want to make sure you do have a guy not only... Arizona certified and licensed, if you will, but also with that professional association, because then that's when the education requirement comes in. Arizona doesn't require that we carry any kind of insurance other than having a bond. That's great if a guy was in a home and he were to, let's say, steal something that was, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, of value. That bonding is, is protection there. Well, it doesn't really help at all Mm -hmm. if a guy was to have missed a major water leak Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of cost involved now and people are going back and forth, what do we do about this? So a guy should carry E&O and liability insurance uh, and then he's got a pretty good package. He's got the E&O, he's got the licensure, he's got the standards. In Arizona, we have to have so much education that they require Mm -hmm. going into licensure. ASHE also required that you not just get an ASHE certification, you have to have done so many home inspections. You have to carry some insurance. You have to prove yourself Mm -hmm. before you get those certifications. Um, The other things are, what else do you do? Now, in Arizona right now, the way Arizona has kind of changed, and this has changed since I've been in the business, uh, we do pools and spas as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I always did, but that's part of a home inspector's requirement now, unless right up front, he defers that and lets somebody know he can't do it, then you're going to have to pick up another inspector. Mm -hmm. Well, we do that in-house. You mentioned earlier about radon. You know, we do have homes being mitigated here in Tucson for radon. And I hear all the time we don't have radon, but yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something to be aware of, but we just don't push it a lot, it doesn't seem. Um, But I've never had a zero test on radon here. Hmm. I don't have that many that are being mitigated, thank goodness. It's not like being in Pennsylvania, but Mm -hmm. we still have that issue. Mm -hmm. Something else that I do standard in my inspections is I screen for carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. Now, what's awesome about that is that we'll run into carbon monoxide issues quite often with ranges uh, as a minimum in homes that have gas appliances. Mm -hmm. I've definitely found other heat exchanger issues and things like that that were truly life-threatening. So if, if a home inspector doesn't inspect for that, which 
I don't think there are very many, if, if any, other ones that do. Um, it makes you wonder just how much is getting missed out there. So that's very important. Are, are all inspectors in Arizona ASHI members? Is that a requirement? No. No, that's a, okay. that's a voluntary thing. So, so that would be a simple thing that someone, if they were looking to hire their own home inspector, they might want to at least make sure that someone has the ASHI certification. Because I'm thinking that's, that's a way you're going to get trained in some of these issues that come up from time to time that you referred to earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, they require the continuing education. I have to get it somewhere. I'm a franchise owner again with Wynn. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're a national group. So we do a lot of that in-house. So I've got a wealth of knowledge because I've got guys all across the country. We collaborate all the time on things. Uh-huh. Uh, but we also do our continuing education as a group. So uh-huh. so it's good. We we stay abreast on, you know, everything that's going on currently. Mm-hmm. Um, things like the coronavirus now with, with protocols, that's where that's developed. It's mm-hmm. developed within the group so that it's brought out properly to the public. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to scare anyone. We don't want to turn it into a free-for-all for fear, mm-hmm. which I think we've unfortunately done a lot of you know, in our, in our country right now. So we're trying to keep that under, mm-hmm. under a normal policy that, that keeps everybody protected. So. Including you. Yes. Including I mean, you're, you're going into a strange environment that you don't really have any knowledge about, and you're touching just about every surface in the house. You touch more surfaces in a house probably than the homeowner does. Yes. Yeah. When it comes down to it, you're right. Uh, when I find that bathroom leak that's in the in the back bathroom and the homeowner never goes there because they don't think about it. Right. So you're right. Yeah, we right. see everything. Uh, but yes, and that's very important because uh, we want to... Matter of fact, we have verbiage that has recently gone out in a newsletter, but it's letting the sellers, home sellers, realize that we are coming in and we don't want to come into a sick environment, whatever right. it happens to be. Right. Um, and it's it's a great time for people to just simply be more cognizant. Even mm-hmm. if you got a cold, let us know. It, right. Uh, nobody wants to spread that somewhere else. So. Well, and especially because you go from one home to mm-hmm. another home. Yep. So it would be a really easy way for you to be a carrier of something unbeknownst to everybody involved. Yeah, it could happen. You yeah. know. Well, I I I, I want to get to some of your other services because I know that you, you have some exciting stuff coming up. But yeah. since we talked about staying up to date on issues, there's three that I can think of that are very important, at least in the Tucson area. And I'm sure this is true across the country. But of course, the first one is the issue of polybutylene, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you, if you want to, explain sure. exactly what's what's the deal with polybutylene. Sure. Yeah, polybutylene was uh, pulled out of the Uniform Plumbing Code around '95. It was actually a few years prior to that. And it's a synthetic. Yeah, it's a plastic mater- plastic mm-hmm. mi- piping material, and mm-hmm. and the idea uh, when it was introduced, it was introduced because we gave a contract to an American contractor. However, PEX, which is the product that we currently use, was available in Europe about 30 years prior to that. But we gave an opportunity for a contractor to be able to to make that product here. And what we found was that polybutylene is strength laterally, in in other words, along with the pipe, versus cross-linked circumferentially around the pipe, which is what PEX is. It's done in a thermochemical manner. And what that allows for is expansion and contraction. So it can mm-hmm. it can actually get away with a lot of load and unload. So if you were to have your plumbing off, shut the water off to the house, and simply turned it back on, at this point in time, polybutylene can literally burst. Right. And I've seen that happen. I've actually watched it physically happen. Under the pressure of the water being turned on. Just simply unloading and reloading the pipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty scary in that sense. Mm-hmm. Now... Initially, they thought that it was just simply the fittings that were leaking. and, and Frank, At the joints. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and what they found was that there was a guy always certified on a job to be able to do that, but I think helpers and other people got to kind of get involved the in that. The testing? Well, the swedge, actually the crimping of those pipes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when that started In hap- the installation. Yeah. No, in I the thought installation. you meant the manufacturing, but you're talking about in the installation. Yeah, actually installing mm-hmm. it. So when you run into that, then you end up with a little less on quality control, and mm-hmm. they started seeing seeping fittings around. Mm-hmm. And it became the the standard. That's what everybody mm-hmm. thought of was leaking fittings. Well, as time went on, they started realizing that the pipe not only has this cross-linked or, or lack of cross-linked, lack, lack of, of, of um, binding, you know, so mm-hmm. it won't 
so it can burst. But they also found that we use chlorine in our water. Mm -hmm. uh, that process helps to hard, harden or start to, start to harden that pipe. So time literally is against it. So at this point, if someone still has polybutylene in their home, they're, they're on borrowed time. I just had a client this morning, their home that they were getting out of, I believe it was, had polybutylene in it, and they'd already had two blowouts uh, mm -hmm. over the years, and they finally said, we got to get out of this stuff and get it repiped. So it isn't hype. It, it really is an issue. If you haven't had a problem yet and you absolutely can't deal with your polybutylene mm -hmm. in your home, I would, at one, minimally recommend getting a pressure reducer put on the house. <clears throat> From the main waters. On the main water. Because mm -hmm. if you can keep the water pressure down around 50 or so, uh, you're going to put a lot less problematic mm -hmm. issues, uh, you know, on that polybutylene, and, and it might last a little bit longer for you. But uh, that's about the only thing you can do to, to stave it off, ultimately. And so, so we don't frighten, as we were saying earlier about not wanting to frighten people, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that polybutylene was really the standard plumbing material from about, is it 83? Was it 83 and then it was banned in... About 93, 95. But they yeah. allowed, they made a deal with the builders and they allowed any builders who still had polybutylene in their inventory to continue to use it in their new builds. Yeah, the supply that was out there. So we've literally seen all the way out to 99 for sure. I've heard as late as 2000 mm -hmm. uh, based on one contact, but but I've seen it out to 99. So so if you're if you are in, interested in a house, hopefully you have a really good realtor like myself who when we look at the age of the house, if it's in that period of about 85 to 95, 97, the first thing that we wonder about is the polybutylene. And if you are in the market for a house and your realtor isn't doing that for you, then you need to make your realtor check on that. Because one of the other issues, and I know you can speak to this, mm -hmm is we can't always determine visually whether there's polybutylene behind the walls. Correct, yeah. There's, uh, and it's interesting too, because this will add to that comment, but let's imagine you have a home that's built in the 1950s mm -hmm. and it had galvanized piping. Mm -hmm. Well, we know we have about a 50 to 70 year life expectancy on galvanized piping before it starts pinholing and having other issues. So now this house has a repipe in the 90s and they repiped it with polybutylene. Yeah. So that can happen too. You go from yeah. one bad pipe to the next bad pipe, and yeah. now you're back up for another repipe. So yeah. I mean, weird things can happen like that. So down through the years, I'll see sometimes three three different types of plumbing type in a house. Um, but as far as um, a visual inspection, yeah. As far as a visual inspection, we have a few interesting tools, but I still can't open a wall up. As a right. home inspector, I'm not allowed to deface the property to get into it. But we can look around a uh, laundry box, for example. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes those are loose, and we can get past that enough to see down into the wall and see what the piping is. Uh, behind the uh, water uh, fixture for the refrigerator is another good place for that. Mm -hmm. Certainly up in the attic, if they have an attic, but oftentimes we have flat roofs and we don't have an attic. Uh, we're looking for a bonding comment out on the electric panel, which doesn't always exist because the builders don't always put it there. Hmm. So there are a few telltale things that we can look for. But, yeah, if the house is flat roof and there's no bonding comments, mm -hmm. uh, it's only falling in the age range, then sometimes we just have to defer to a plumber and then they'll have to open a hole in a wall. And, and well, and it. sometimes we have people who are a little tricky yeah. who will put, a fixture from the wall to an appliance, yeah. washer, refrigerator, yeah. uh, that isn't polybutylene. And they specifically do that so that it looks like there isn't polybutylene in the house. That's true. And just to, for the protection of any potential buyers, that's another reason why part of our due diligence process here in Arizona and every state has a due diligence process. We ask for the insurance claims history for the house for at least five years. And that's another way you can see if they have a claim because they had some kind of a water leak, mm -hmm. that's, you know, uh, 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 that's an indication that it might possibly have been polybutylene. Of course, there are other reasons that they're water leaks. But yeah. as a realtor, I, I'm a little bit of a sleuth. Yeah. You know, and I'm always trying to get any clues I can about a home to benefit my my buyers so that they don't run into problems down the line. 
You well, know? and you have to be. I mean, we look at things somewhat in a forensic manner. We're looking at the results mm -hmm. of something that's happened mm -hmm. to try to get back to what right. actually occurred or what actually may have started it or right. where it came from. We're just looking for all those clues as well. And the one thing, too, about a home inspector is we're, we're educated. We have a professional comment or a view on what we're looking at. But we're not the end-all, be-all. We don't do a technically exhaustive, we call it, inspection, which means like, for example, an air conditioning uh, mm -hmm. tech comes out. He's going to get into it. He's going to do some amp load tests. He's going to do a lot of things with the, the gas pressure on the Freon. He'll do things that we can't or won't do as a home inspector because we're not really allowed to. Our standard of practice tells us to operate everything in the home as if I were a homeowner and were able to operate normally. So we look at things through inspection panels that are available and so forth, but they're going to get into the guts of things and get a little deeper on it. So if we feel there's an, an indication that they need to be there, that's what we do is we guide you as your buyer to that person. Not not person-specific, but to that tradesperson. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So the, And I think the last thing I want to just say about polybutylene for anyone who's listening who might be concerned, I've— had sellers there we know in in tucson we know certain neighborhoods that I, they were all built with polybutylene yeah. and i know sellers who have come to me and said i better get all the polybutylene you know replaced before i sell it and this is just a suggestion is don't <laughs> you know because what often does happen if there's polybutylene number one if there's no history of leaking uh you know we talk about Buyer beware. If, if it's disclosed that it's polybutylene and a buyer is comfortable with that, then that's their choice. Yeah. Uh, what we often do in a real estate transaction is we then we negotiate if, if a buyer really wants it to be replaced, we can negotiate it. And that's the other thing I just wanted to reassure anyone who might be concerned about polybutylene. It can be costly to, to replace. It's, it's not only can be costly economically, but it's, it's not a clean process. They make yeah. a lot of holes in your walls and then they yeah. have to repair the, the drywall, but it can be done. So if you are li living in a home and you think you have polybutylene, I don't want to alarm you. Um, we just want to inform you. Yeah. And if you are concerned, you can always give me a call, give Rick a call there you go. Yeah. And, uh, and get it checked out. And so the other thing that comes up um, is mold. Mm -hmm. So tell me about mold and the home inspection process and what people can expect is reasonable because I know one of the issues that sometimes gets litigated and it gets very complicated is that there was no detection of mold upon the home inspection and the homeowner by, moves in and then all of a sudden they have a mold problem and then retrospectively they want to accuse you and me and everybody yeah. <laughs> that they can possibly litigate against to take some responsibility uh, for the problem. So what would you like people to know about mold and inspections? Well, keep in mind that what we do is we do a, a non-invasive visual physical examination. So anything that we have an understanding of because of conditions, we can further make recommendations mm -hmm. to try to do something about it. Now, I'll predicate that by saying, too, if you have clients or anybody out there that's buying a home or or selling a home or whatever the case, just living in your home. If you have a predisposition mm -hmm. to any kind of uh, allergies towards mold or anything else, you need to have testing done that's above and beyond what a home inspector right. can do, period. Right. Um, now, when we go into the, the air home, testing, would you recommend? Well, there's there's a couple of different ways they'll do it. They'll do mold, uh, excuse me, they'll the do spore. Uh, they'll do, yeah, they'll do surface sampling, which can give them a lot of information. They'll do mold. Uh, or air samples like you're talking about in the air generally, but also cavities. Mm -hmm. So they'll put holes in walls and small ones, and they'll run in their test equipment to be able to take air samples inside of wall cavities we can't see. Mm -hmm. But what we're looking at and what they're also going to do as they walk into a home is they're going to look for those conducive conditions. So mm -hmm. if we see any stains, if we see any sagging paint possibly, mm -hmm. uh, if we see anything else that would possibly you know, make us think about that, we got a leak over here in this spot, maybe there's something else over here. Are we simply on a water bearing wall. So mm -hmm. the wa wall where the plumbing is for the, both bathrooms maybe is in one wall. Well, that's a pretty suspect wall typically. So we look it over real good. Uh, 
Has it been recently remodeled? Uh, just went into a home not too long ago. It was very recently remodeled, and there was some staining on the floorboard. Mm. Well, it turns out we had a current leak, and they had done that in the course of the remodel. Mm. So there's a lot of reasons that can happen. Now, it doesn't always mean mold's going to happen. Right. There's like 30 different kinds of mold that spoilers that are in the air all the time. Mm -hmm. There's only a few of them that, as, to my knowledge anyway, and again, I'm not the expert, so don't hold me to anything, but uh, that are actually health risk related that, is to the average person. But we can see some simple stuff as, as, as blackened as, you know, mildew right. in a bathroom and get very concerned, and oftentimes it's not. Uh, sometimes it's just a surface issue, but other times mm -hmm. it's going to be a depth issue. And we talked about introducing, you know, some future things. Um, we're going to be doing thermal imaging in our business here eventually. And thermal imaging gives us a little bit better view on some of the anomalies that could uh, introduce those types of issues. So. And I'm really interested in learning more about that. Yeah. I just want to remind everybody that this is Carol Nygut, your home for real estate, streaming live from the Stuart Title Building on Tucson Business Radio X. And I'm here with Rick Johnson, and we are talking about everything you need to know about getting a home inspection. So, Rick, you were just about to tell us about thermal imaging because mm -hmm. I know, and I'm, I'm curious, before you get into that, yeah. I'm just curious, what do you think about, I know there are a lot of vendors who do these moisture tests where they measure the, the temperature. Is that what thermal is, where you measure the temperature of the wall and there'll be a different temperature of the, in the wall if there has been moisture that's that's definitely part of it. So thermal imaging is actually able to see in a uh, in a band, uh -huh. just like the X-ray and everything else. Mm -hmm. We all fall in a band spectrum. This is just one spectrum, the IR spectrum, and what it does is creates a differential, mm -hmm. and we have to have the proper differential between the outside temperature of the home, inside temperature of the home. Once we've got a delta T, we call it. It's an 18 degree delta T we can actually do testing. We can see a lot of things like missing insulation. We can see water oh, leak issues that okay. are occurring. Uh, we can find electrical anomalies where we have overheat issues. Uh, but all of it requires getting the home to a certain place and having it maintained at that point temperature-wise, uh, loads on the electrical system, things like that to be hmm. able to do this. So so we it does take a, a baseline to make that, that work. But ultimately, it can show us a lot of things we can't normally see. We cannot see inside the wall. Because you can't do an invasive inspection. Yeah, yeah. So this, the thermal imaging, kind of takes the place of that. It allows you to see without actually opening up the wall. In a sense, yeah, yeah. Again, it shows us anomalies, so we're mm -hmm. seeing differentials. That's what we're trying to pick up on. And you have to be trained in understanding how to read that camera because... Mm -hmm. We can see all kinds of stuff that are anomalies that have nothing to do with an issue. Right. And there's a lot of cameras out there that a lot of people carry around that are substandard uh, in that sense. And the training might not be there either. Mm -hmm. So when we actually establish and put this into the market, and it's it's coming, but we're not there yet, uh, it's going to be fully trained and, and properly done. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be doing it. So I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about some of the maybe less than trained and certified yeah. inspectors and they can get some of these um they can get a, a thermal test you, you know and they get a device so yes. they can do some of this stuff but you also want to make sure that they are thoroughly trained i was actually on uh on uh one of the uh, websites just looking at some other products and i saw some personal IR devices that were like $200. <laughs> uh -huh. I, all I had to do is laugh. I mean, it's quite interesting because it's a toy at that point. It right. is a toy to play with. Right. And you can see some things, but you can't really define what you're looking at unless you have uh -huh. one that has a very good clarity, uh -huh. uh, a very high pixel rating, You know, the ability to truly mm -hmm. define what you're looking at. So there is a big difference. But again, it's showing an anomaly. So, right. so if you have the right conditions, you can actually watch water as it heats up let's say if we were running hot water, as it creates the leak on one side of the room wow. to find it where they actually saw the leak issue, they thought, on the other side of the room. So there is an advantage there. But uh, but again, it's not looking inside the wall, and it doesn't see the water. 
Oh, interesting. It sees the evaporation of the water. So it is, it, like I say, there's a lot to the science to be able to define what you're truly looking at. But it's uh, kind of like an x-ray, probably just... Quite different, just but a, similar. Well, yeah. again, it, it's a, yeah. I don't mean the technology. I yeah. mean in the, the practice in yeah. that probably any of us could take an x-ray. You just push the button. Yeah. The important yeah. thing is how is it interpreted? Absolutely. There has to be somebody highly skilled and trained who can look at the image and interpret what they're seeing. And I, I think that's why you're involved in all of this training now, yes. so that you'll be prepared to do that accurately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so then this is something that I'm not sure how many of our listeners are even aware of, uh, unless you've had a problem with your air conditioner or you're involved in a real estate transaction as a buyer. But there's a big change that's about to take place with Freon. Yes. Yep. And I would love it if you would give our listeners the opportunity to learn a little more about what's going on. Sure. Yeah, actually, remind me about pools, too, and I'll tell you okay. another little tidbit. But with Freon, as of January this year, 2020, they stopped using Freon in any new equipment. They banned our use of it, just like they did in cars many years ago. Now you have to have a 410A material, they call it, and that Freon still could have been had many years ago. However, they ran the R22 out as far as they possibly could. Now, and R the R22 is what most of us have had. Yeah, all the way up to 2010. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So previous to 2010, we have units now that are suspect, basically, for having R22, but I found one the other day as an example is 2004, I believe it was, and it still had the 410A in it. So it was available. They just mm -hmm. didn't have it in all the units commercially. Um, the, the issue is simple, uh, just like it was with cars. At some point, the materials that we have in stock will be depleted. Right. Uh, at this point, it's still available for maintenance and service on those units. So mm -hmm. somebody that has a unit that has R22, don't despair. It's going to last probably just as long as the equipment normally would. Mm -hmm. However, that R22 is going to become more and more scarce. Mm -hmm. And just like anything else that's scarce, it gets more and more expensive. So right. at a certain point, the dollars just don't add up to trying to service an older unit using R22, and you're going to have to consider what the next step is, which is replacement. At that and point. that's what I was going to ask you. So you have to re you replace the whole unit? Yeah, they, they make a... I call it a bridge mix, but it's uh -huh. basically a mixture uh, product, uh, recycled or however mm -hmm. they do it with the R22 uh, to try to get that unit to limp along a little bit farther. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not from everything I've understood from all the air conditioning uh, people that I've pulled on that. It's probably not the best idea. Mm -hmm. It might get you by a little while, but it's really not benefiting your unit. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not necessarily good for it. Like I say, while they still have the R22, you can get away with it, certainly by putting a pure product in there. Uh, but eventually that's going to So you're going to have to, people are going to have to replace their condensers? The whole thing, the actually. Whole thing. Yeah, because you have a you have a coil in both units. If it's a split system, if it's a pack unit, package unit up on your roof, it's, mm -hmm. you know, all the R20 or the uh, Freon that's up in that unit. And the, the, the equipment to change over to the new product to actually w work in it to use it mm -hmm. would cost much more than it would to So ultimately. conversion isn't a yeah, yeah. cost-effective yeah. solution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think the HVAC suppliers are probably looking forward to that. There's always a silver lining and <laughs> everything for somebody, yeah. Um, there's one part of our economy that might not be affected by the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. When I mentioned pools a minute ago, yeah. I, it, this is something that uh, has been going on for a while as well, but single-speed electric motors that are on pool pumps have been disallowed for the oh. pool installers to be able to put back on your equipment. So they have to go to a multi-speed uh, electric motor and pump setup. The advantage to that, I've done this recently in the last year in my own home, I've saved as much as 50% of my electric bill just mm -hmm. by changing that pump over. And literally it paid for itself in a year. Because so, it's more efficient? So much more efficient. It's amazing. So just, Does it tend to break down less? Well, it's not so much that. I don't think, although the equipment is newer technology, so it probably has some advantages. It's not running as hard, so it's definitely going to cut down on the wear of the unit. Uh, but the big thing is the power consumption. Its power consumption is substantially less. And with multi-speeds, you really don't need it running at full bore mm -hmm. constantly. So like you're saying, 
they they really made a lot of great pumps in the day, mm-hmm. but it's like the old iron that we used to drive to. I mean, they made a lot of great cars, but mm-hmm. they always broke down. I mean, we'd have a hundred thousand miles on an engine, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Now we're going three to five hundred thousand on an engine, so the technology is much better uh-huh. than it was. Yeah. So, in terms of home buyers, mm-hmm. what are the what are things that they should look for or be aware of when they're looking at a new home? Anything in particular that you would recommend? Um, you know, there's. I actually put out uh, or have available anyway uh, in my marketing material uh, about a twenty point, I think it is, list for home sellers to be able to prepare a home for sale. Hmm. Home buyers could use the same list and just look at it and get an idea of the most common things mm-hmm. that we see in a home inspection. On that list, literally, you could take those 20 items and you could probably knock off 75% of what we find in a home inspection if all those things were taken care of. (laughs) But usually it has to do with uh, two things, deferred maintenance Mm -hmm. and what I refer to as Homer the handyman doing work (laughs) that he shouldn't. So uh, we find find an awful lot of that. Um, And, you know, if you're getting contractors to do work, you want licensed guys that know Mm -hmm. what they're doing. It's always great. We always know somebody that can help us do a job or mm-hmm. things like that. And they can do it just as wonderful a job as a licensed guy. But, you know, you have no insurance on that and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's always problems that come up. Well, so. and maybe this would be a good, This while we're, you know, talking about this, we do have a registry of contractors that anyone mm-hmm. can look up online. Sure. Uh, so anyone who's listening, if you're considering doing some work and you're wondering if the individual you're considering is registered, you can go to the registry of contractors in the state of Arizona and it's alphabetical by city. So uh, I think that's that's a very good suggestion. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I mentioned the polybutylene and the mold and the Freon. Did I miss anything in terms of buyer beware items that buyers should pay a little bit extra attention to um you know there are there's like i say every decade kind of has its own right set of issues so in the older homes they didn't have very good insulation mm-hmm. we go way back and and in home in homes that were in the 20s which we don't have a lot of here in tucson but we mm-hmm. have a nice segment in the downtown uh you could have had knob and tube wiring mm-hmm. which was uh two wire wiring that has no grounding now and aluminum. Aluminum wiring happened. Uh, I found a couple of, uh, of recent uh, inspections that I've done in developments that had all aluminum branch wiring. And aluminum branch wiring is, is 12 gauge, our standard, or something smaller than that. And that's always been a problem. They found that they had huge house fire issues when they started introducing that. Hmm. We do allow multi-strand aluminum wiring because it has the ability to control that expansion and contraction issue, which is what happens. They'll expand, they start losing contact, and they arc. So they've made fixtures that are designed for aluminum and copper uh, at the the receptacles in the wall and so forth. As long as everything is done properly, you can get away with a fair amount of things, but 12-gauge branch wiring is definitely a bad thing. Uh, we do use still 10 gauge, uh, which is going to a 30 amp circuit like a dryer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is allowed. That's actually allowed in modern code. I still always recommend an electrician check those and make sure the torques are proper on all the lugs, that the antioxidant is required to be applied. That stops the oxidizing on aluminum, which literally as soon as aluminum is formed, it begins to oxidize. So it doesn't take much. So having antioxidant properly, torques, and so forth to uh, to make sure that they're safe is very, very prudent. Um, what else? Let's see. I had some other thoughts. Uh, you know, when it comes to that list that I was talking about, great issues around a home are a That's, huge thing. I don't think we've ever done an inspection where there haven't been grading yeah. issues around the exterior perimeter. Yeah, and what's interesting <laughs> about it is that the builders are required to have a grade that drains that are required to have so much separation from the bottom of the stucco to the ground. And as the house is uh, uh, maybe remodeled every once in a while, but basically re-landscaped, that landscaping just gets thicker and heavier and thicker and heavier and flatter and less slope. And over time, it becomes a real problem for a lot of And it holds a lot of moisture. It does. It does. (laughs) And in the older homes where they didn't have post-tension slabs, yeah. All that moisture around the slab can cause a, a whole bunch of issues, but one of the bigger ones would be any kind of movement, settling. 
uh, that can happen when when uh, things you know it's, it gets squashy. The ground just isn't yeah. solid anymore. Now on the uh, on the current system where we have post tension slabs, it's almost like a boat. It holds that slab tight and it kind of creates a nice platform for the house to move around on if it has to. Uh, but in the old slabs, when they crack, which all concrete cracks anyway, right. don't get too concerned about cracks immediately. <laughs> cracks are going to be there. Uh, but with post-tension, it holds them together better. But those cracks are where moisture get in, where termites get in. Right. So right. a lot of the older homes, that's where they find their way in is through those cracks. And actually, yeah. that that reminds me of something that we see a lot of in Tucson is we have, I would guess, most of our homes or many of our homes, especially in since the 70s or 80s, we have a lot of stucco that's poured over wood frames. So we see a lot of stucco cracking. Yes. And, and stucco does, you know, we, we it used to be that stucco was a traditional stucco, which was a three-coat system. It took about two weeks to uh, install it. And the idea was is as those layers were put on, it was healing up, if you will, the, the cracking that was occurring. And that final layer then was the final solid full surface without cracks in it. And it was almost like an art. That's not the way it is anymore. Now right. stucco is basically just a surface coating. Right. So because of that, it does crack, and it cracks pretty easily. If underneath of the stucco, the moisture barrier for any reason is not integrous mm -hmm. and moisture can get in through cracks, then it can find its way into the wood structure. So the first line of defense is always to keep the cracks sealed up. And a lot of people don't realize just how important those cracks are to keep them sealed, but that's why we look at it that way because, again, we see everything forensically. I see the issues that happen five, ten years down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we always recommend, yeah, getting especially the parapets because yes. if the parapets on your roof have cracks, the moisture that's entering them, the gravity is taking it all the way down through yep. The, yep. The, the one or two stories, whatever you have. Yep. But it's traveling all the way through the interior structure of the house. It can if it gets into it. Thank yeah. goodness most of it is should shouldn't ever of the get moisture there because of the moisture barrier. Barrier, yeah. And on modern construction, we have a screed, uh, uh -huh. it's a metal screed with holes in it, which is helping to allow air movement. Right to, to dry try it to out. Dry the stucco mm -hmm. out. Um, when stucco was installed, and this happens in some communities where it's installed all the way down to the ground, then there is no screed. There's no way for it to dry itself right. out. And the termites, because now you can't see them coming up the foundation, are finding their way into your walls real easily. Yeah. So. so, well, that's another thing. I mean, I know you are not a termite inspector. Yeah. And we do use specialists for yes. roofs and for termites. Yeah. But that is another thing that people, in Arizona, it's actually required by law, especially, and, and you cannot get a loan, a mortgage loan on a property without a termite inspection in the state of, of Arizona. Yeah. You know, but you do a little surface. We have to. I mean, there's review. we're always going to run into things, and we're looking for those same things, mm -hmm. conducive conditions. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about the forensic look at things. Mm -hmm. A home I was looking at today, as a matter of fact, is the same kind of thing, stucco to grade. I knew we have a potential. Uh, we don't know what kind of a potential until we get inside the house, but mm -hmm. sure enough, we found termites had been popping through the walls in the garage and in the master wow. bedroom. So, yeah, that's that's why you don't do that. Now, the only way to eliminate that from happening would be if you get that pest control professional mm -hmm. to do a treatment around the home and have a warranty and mm -hmm. always on that type of home maintain that warranty mm -hmm. because the, the, the thing about termites is that we moved into their home mm -hmm. and they're moving back into our home. That's kind of <laughs> how it works. Yeah. And it really yeah. is pretty much that they're they're the scavengers of the desert. Uh -huh. So they're here and we're we're just we're inviting them right back in by moving into their house. So <laughs> Well, have I missed anything that you think is important for our listeners to know about the home inspection process? You've done a good job covering a lot of stuff here. So. Well, I have a really good home inspector. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> He's educated me and I will say that as a realtor, I very much appreciate, I'm present at every inspection on behalf of my buyers, yep. and I have become a better realtor because of what I've learned from you at the inspection we've done. I'm certainly better for my buyers. When I take a buyer out to see a house, and it does depend if I know it's an FHA or a VA loan, the first thing I look at is the fascia, <laughs> you know, because there are certain things that we know. Yeah. Um, 
don't pass for for buyers who are using certain loan programs. But it, getting knowledgeable and especially working with you, I have become much better uh, representative to my buyers. And the same thing with my sellers. When I'm working with someone who's listing their home, I'm identifying things that they need to address. And usually I give them the option. I said, well, you know what? It's going to get identified either yeah. we do it now or we're going to do it in the middle of a transaction where you always risk the transaction falling apart. Well, and that's important S what you just said because years ago when home inspection wasn't pretty much a standard of practice and it has become that, things got missed all the time mm -hmm. and were overlooked or just hidden. Yeah. Now you've got people that are trained to be able to identify those things. So it's it's a completely different ball game. So you're right. And that'll dovetail something that I, I have a note here. When you're selling a home, don't do cheap repairs. <laughs> Avoid that like the plague. And we see it all the time in, yeah. in what we call flips here in Tucson. Oh, yes. I was, I was, we could have had a whole show on flips. Yes, we could have. <laughs> yes, we could have. And the cheap repairs are just, all it does yeah. is it, it baits me or yeah. any other trained professional into realizing, boy, we got a lot of stuff we got to really scrutinize here. Right. We see it really, really fast, and it happens all the time. So, yeah, avoid those cheap uh, repairs. Just do everything properly. You know, if you can't do something well, don't do it at all. Have somebody else that knows what they're doing do it. Well, and from the perspective of a realtor, especially the young people seem to be very enamored of the flips because yeah. they are most flips are done to they're really they really aren't flips they're cosmetic yes. improvements yeah they they look beautiful but as soon as you get behind the walls it's the same old house that was there all along yeah. with all the problems that it had lipstick on a sour right that's, and that's <laughs> you you took the words right out of my mouth yeah <laughs> so i i want to just take a moment um to just pass on some information my other guest today was going to be don cox of farmers insurance uh Don is up in the foothills, and he really wanted everyone to know that even though we're all a little housebound and limiting our movement, he is available, um, and you can reach Don at 520-244-3707, whether or not you have a policy with him. There's a lot of anxiety that people are questioning a lot. If you have any questions about insurance, uh, feel free to give Don a call. Uh, and uh, I am hope to have Don back and he can tell you a little bit more about homeowner's insurance. But I'm sure that Rick would agree with me that when you're buying a home, if you have a loan, you have to have homeowner's insurance. But even if you don't, it's a very important um, protection to have a homeowner's policy. Well, and also, you know, with the market changing as much as it has and property values right. going up as much as they have, if you're not reevaluating that every now and then, uh, that's right. you're probably underinsured as well. So. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And let's hope it stays that way in yeah. spite of the coronavirus. There you go. Yeah. So I wanted to just give you an opportunity to let people know where they can get a hold of you. Well, sure. Uh, I don't have my uh, website here right in front of me, um, but my phone number is 520-749-1679. If you look on the web, you can look for Win Home Inspection, Catalina Foothills. That is who we are. We've been uh, doing business here for 15 years, since 2004. Uh, very, very detailed, as Carol has mentioned. The, the thoroughness is what builds our business. Uh, it's not because of bells and whistles. It's because of a thorough inspection. Mm -hmm. I want my buyers to realize that we're going to look for everything possible in a home. I was going to mention this earlier, too, but, you know, the standard of practice tells us we have uh, a minimum standard, just like building construction has a minimum standard. We always go to the next level, and we if I am only required to test a receptacle and a window and a, and a mm -hmm. room, I'll, re I'll be testing all of them. Right. We right. want to make sure that whole home gets a good look over. So that's, that's win. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Rick Johnson of Win Home Inspection, and I want to remind our listeners that we we do our live stream the third Thursday of the month, but the broadcast is also available on the Tucson Business Radio X website, and all of Rick's and Don Cox's 
contact information as well as my contact information are available on the website. And the program can also be found on whatever your favorite podcasting uh, provider is. I am Carol Nygut, your home for real estate. Coldwell Banker, res- excuse me, we're Coldwell Banker Realty. We just had a name change. And my number is 520-448-6033. I'd love to hear from you if you have questions, ideas for programs, information that you'd like us uh, to provide for you. I hope everyone stays safe and well, and I'm giving you elbow pumps from afar. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed your home for real estate with Carol Daggett on Tucson Business Radio X, 